There's big news in Michigan courts. Judge Ali Greenleaf Maldonado of the Little Traverse Bay Band of Odawa Indians was recently appointed to Michigan's Court of Appeals. She's the first tribal citizen appointed to the role. And how she got here is a deeply personal story. Part of the reason I went to law school was to stop what happened to my family from ever happening again. Today, we're going to talk with Judge Maldonado about her family history, her career, and what she hopes to accomplish in her new role. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Judge Allie Greenleaf Maldonado grew up with stories of loved ones who were forcibly removed from their homes. My mother was removed. My grandmother was removed. All my great uncles were removed as part of the federal government's official policy of removing Indian children from their homes and communities in an effort to assimilate them. I'm actually the first generation in my family not to be removed. This happened widely across her community. And it's this history that has driven her career in the law. I saw firsthand, up close and personal, how that practice impacted my family. Did your mother and grandmother, were they in a position where they they could talk about what their lives were like and, and how that affected their family relationships? Well, I never got to meet my grandmother. She died young. Um, my mother, it was she did talk a lot about what happened to her. Um, she was sent to live with a Mennonite minister and his wife when her mother died. And she was basically a domestic servant for them. They cut her hair. They She talked about, she's a very dark woman, she talked about how they put Clorox on her skin to try and lighten her. And I think the worst, you know, they cut her off from her family. That was really the worst thing that they did. She she thought her family didn't want her. That's what they told her. And she sent letters out that were not sent, that they weren't actually posted. She thought letters were going out. And then the letters that came in for her were never given to her. Um she was told to lie and say she was Armenian, and she just lost her identity. She lost her sense of self, and that was the most damaging part. That's why that happened widely across my community. It's so common. There's not a single person in my community who didn't either get removed and was placed in a boarding school or they had a parent or grandparent that was removed like that and either placed in boarding school or a non-relative, non-Indian placement outside of their community. And so a lot of people, you know, think this is ancient history, but they don't know that the last boarding school in the United States, it closed right up here in Harbor Spring, in Springs, Michigan. It was Holy Childhood. And it closed in 1983. I'm still back on the fact that your mother was asked to represent as Armenian. It really speaks to the way that the people making the decisions were were kind of focused on anything but Native people, anything but Native culture. Right. There are so many intersections between tribal law and state law, just as there are intersections between tribal law and federal law. And you've you've studied and done some work in, in all three of these fields. Could you tell us a little bit about how that grounding in, in these different spaces has, has affected the way you approach your work? Well, I think much like state and federal governments, tribal governments are responsible for the health, safety, and welfare of their citizens and their communities. And we just approach it, I think, from a different 
historical perspective. I think if you walked into a tribal court, much of what you would see would look sim- you know, familiar to you, much like a state court. Um, however, you know, I think some of the the values that we bring look different. And I think probably what outlines that the best is our view of children. In state law, children are still viewed as property. And this goes all the way back to England, where they were literally property under English law. In tribal courts, children are not viewed as property, they're viewed as sacred. And that that results in different outcomes, better outcomes for children and families. Mm-hmm. I often feel like these two systems, uh, you know, tribal courts and state courts, they they run along parallel tracks, but their intersections. Um, my perception is that their intersections are among the most difficult questions that 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 come up in jurisprudence today. And I just wonder if you agree with that. I do agree with that. I think that every tribal case that comes to me, the very first question I always have to ask myself is, do I have jurisdiction to hear this case? And jurisdiction questions in Indian country are the stuff of law school exams. And so that's how we begin each and every case in my court. I do want to ask some questions about your new your new position on uh, the Court of Appeals. Do you think that most people in Michigan understand the role that appellate courts play in law that's maybe not quite fully decided yet or, or sort of still in an evolving phase? I actually think that we have a really long way to go in educating the public about what courts do generally. I think that Justice McCormick has done a remarkable job of beginning the process of educating the public about courts and improving access to courts for everyone. This is Judge Bridget McCormick, who's the outgoing chief justice of the Michigan State Supreme Court. Correct. Justice Bridget McCormick has spearheaded a number of reforms during her tenure as chief justice in Michigan that are really designed to make courts a lot more accessible to everybody, just to make it easier for non-law trained people to participate in court procedures. And that's something that tribal courts have done for years. The vast majority of people that come into tribal courts um, are non-lawyers. And so we're really well equipped to handle that. But frankly, the va- you know state courts and federal courts, they're not built for, for regular people to come in off the streets and successfully navigate them. You almost have to hire an attorney to have a fair shot at getting your case resolved in the state and federal system just by design, by how they're built. And what I believe Justice Bridget McCormick has done is she's you know mobilized the state and really made significant inroads in changing that and increasing access to justice for all of Michigan's citizens. And I've been really proud to be a small, tiny part of that. What are some strategies that you've used in tribal court to help people who are non-lawyers and who maybe are not in a position to immediately hire a lawyer, some, some ways that you've helped them, the ways that you've tried to make court more accessible? Well, we try to put all of our court forms in English, you know, co- common English language instead of legalese. We have taken um, statutes and created, um, you know, uh, created flowcharts and guides 
that we publish on our website showing how cases move throughout the court, making it easier for people to kind of understand the flow of cases. We've also published um, a treatise of law, of tribal court law, on our website to make it easier for people to just have a basic overview of the tribal system and the tribal law question that they might have coming up in, uh, in front of the tribal court. We need to take a break. More in just a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. I sometimes feel like appellate courts have a singularly tough job. Their their task is to review lower court cases. They need to be looking for procedural issues, need to be making sure that parties involved in cases got a fair process. I, I My understanding is the success of appeals is, is pretty low. Sometimes, you know, very often in the low double digits, but sometimes in the single digits for some kinds of criminal cases. And so appellate judges have to do all this diligence on the cases. They don't often get to author the, you know, the flashy decisions that, that get headlines like state Supreme Court justices do. Can you tell me a little bit about what experiences you'll be drawing on uh, to do this work and, and what kinds of things you've been thinking about as you've been preparing? Well, I've been a trial court judge for a decade now. And, you know, unlike state courts where you typically specialize in like the probate judges, um, you know, they typically hear family law cases, probate cases. Um, and then, you know, you have the district court judges that hear misdemeanors and lower denomination disputes. And then the circuit courts hear, you know, the, the serious felony cases and the higher denomination disputes. We don't have those distinctions in tribal courts. So I could, you know, in tribal court, I could hear a constitutional issue one day, an election matter, a workers' compensation claim. And we use the state system for years. So I'm very familiar with that. Um, slip and falls, tort, tort laws is not uncommon, um, in addition to child welfare and criminal law. And so I've had exposure to a pretty broad um, variety of cases. And I think that's a really good background for an appellate judge. Do many tribal court cases end up in the Court of Appeals? Well, not a lot of mine. <laughs> I actually, uh, I have the longest tenure of any LTBB trial court judge with the record for the fewest number of appeals, actually. So not not on my docket. That's good for those keeping score at home. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, have you ever looked at a Have you ever looked at an appellate ruling uh, for a tribal court case? And I won't limit this to Michigan cases, maybe that you, you're aware of in other other places. Uh, have you ever had a feeling that a higher court missed something in how a tribal court handled the situation? 
I mean, absolutely. Uh, of course I have. I think that Indian law is so unique in the fact that so much of it is about history. You know, when you have an Indian law case, especially if you're looking at like the you know federal district court level, the courts have to go through reams and reams of historical documents and they're written in English. They are written in English, but in kind of an old style of speaking that could be sometimes, you know, less easy to really, you know, read through. And I think that those things, you know, for Indian law practitioners spend a lifetime building the expertise to bring these cases forward in a competent manner. But you know, you get your draw of a judge. And if the judge has never had an Indian law case before, it's really, I think, quite an uphill climb. So of course, there's definitely been cases where I've looked at the opinions and just thought that I wish there'd been somebody there with a little bit more Indian law background. To that end, the reaction uh, throughout uh, many, many folks who do pay attention to Indian law or who practice has been, I just can't think of a word other than joyful to your appointment. And they've talked about what a huge moment this is for representation in Michigan's judiciary. Does it feel like that to you? Absolutely. I'm so proud to represent not just Indian country, but this appointment, it's it's layered with meaning. I'm only, I'm actually the first minority ever appointed in the fourth district, only the fourth woman. And I haven't had a chance to look it up yet, but so often uh, Northern Michigan is overlooked. And being able to represent all of those things, Northern Michigan, uh, women, minorities, and Indian country, it's a great privilege and a great honor, but it comes with great responsibility. And I'm ready for that. Yeah. Can I, I have a question that's just a little bit more personal. Um, do you, do you have to move to Lansing now? I think you still live in Harbor Springs, right? I live in Petoskey and I'm not planning on moving. I'm planning on, you know, driving where I need to go. I think I bring a unique perspective to the appellate. I, I don't know how many people are serving right now. I know at least one or two are from Northern Michigan, but I want to, I want to keep that connection having that perspective for all of Michiganders is, I think, very important. You know, we live right on Lake Michigan. We fish, we hunt, we enjoy the Great Lakes. And so we have a different connection, I think, with Michigan sometimes than other other folks. And I think that's an important perspective, too, to bring to the appellate bench. Yeah. How do you hope to stay in touch with the folks who sustain you in, in Petoskey and, and around? I mean, hopefully after I've, you know, done everything I can to be the best appellate court judge I can be, um, I intend to incorporate, you know, my work improving the justice system for all Michiganders and um, working with the partners on the Tribal State Federal Judicial Forum, working with the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, continuing those relationships, I think will um, keep me plugged in with Indian country. And then I, you know, I'm looking forward. One of the things that's going to be absolutely terrific for me is I get to live in my community just as a citizen. And I haven't actually had that um, in at least a decade. And I am looking forward to going to community events and not being the judge. <laughs> that's going to be great. 
That is a great point, just getting to inhabit <laughs> your own space again. That sounds pretty amazing. Well, and enjoy, enjoying my community, participating in my culture. So many times I would pass on, like, I won't, right? I haven't gone to a sweat in probably 10 years because I was like, who's going to want to go into a sweat with the judge? Nobody. <laughs> one time I set up a, a, a tent. I know. One time I set up a tent at Powwow because my daughter was a jingle dress dancer, and you know, you you know, you uh, some some people had set up next to us without knowing who they were setting up next to, and I heard the guys when they walked up, they were like, "Oh, dang, we're set up next to the judge." <laughs> so, well, they here's... were they were currently in court. So was wasn't fun for them. wasn't fun for me. Now I can enjoy powwow a little bit more. Here's here's to your glorious return. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that that is on your mind right now, or that you think is important for people to know? I just want to say how grateful I am to Governor Whitmer for entrusting me with this tremendous honor and responsibility. And I'm going to do everything in my power, not just to make her proud, but to make all of Michigan proud. Allie Greenleaf Maldonado. She's chief judge for the Little Traverse Bay Band of Odawa Indians and is the newest appointee to the Michigan Court of Appeals. Judge Maldonado, it's really been a pleasure. Congratulations. Thank you for having me, April. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Baer. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Today's pod was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kavansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our executive producer, Laura Weber-Davis, edited today's show. Music for the podcast comes from Blue Dot Sessions. We thank you so very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.